0: All right, so we are, if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, we're in verses 6 and 7 again. We are at the last of the four titles that we talked about that uh, is given to the coming Messiah. So let's take a look at that text. If you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? And we'll get into the discussion about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I just pray, Lord, that every day that we hunger for it, that you would put in us a desire to, to read more and to go deeper and deeper in our understanding and knowledge of it, and to go deeper and deeper in our walk with you. Our time on this earth is but a blip on the timeline of history, we, all, we we are never guaranteed tomorrow, and so let us, with every day, long to know you more. That's what you wanted for us, which is why you sent your son, so that he could be a revelation of yourself to us. So teach us today, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm sorry, this may happen a lot today. Um, I have a cold, and I've already started losing my voice this week, so. So bear with me. All right, so um, the first point in your notes is the reign of the Prince of Peace. We're um, going to talk a little bit about some of the context. Uh, In the the first two sermons that we did, we talked about some of the context leading up to the the list of the four titles. Today we're going to talk about, as we've come to the end of the list, we're going to talk about some of the context that comes after that, just to kind of set the stage before we get into talking about him as Prince of Peace. (coughs) The Hebrew word is sar- Shalohim. Sar Shalohim. As we have looked throughout this sermon series, and we've looked earlier in the text at times, we're told that the Messiah is going to reign over all nations. Hey, Brandon, I'm going to switch to this so that if I have to cough, I can move it out of the way. Alright, so we're told that the Messiah would reign over all nations. We, we discussed that in the past. Um, Isaiah says that the government is going to be on his shoulders and hopefully you recall we discussed that that government was not the government of Israel alone, but that he was going to have the government of all nations on his shoulders. He would eventually be called the king of all kings. And concerning his reign of the nations, we now read at the end of our the second part of our text, after the titles, we read, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So he will last forever. And I, as we go through the sermon today, we're gonna, I'm going to reference the things that we've already learned about him. He will last forever. He's called Everlasting Father. His reign and his government will never end. But it will also never cease to increase. So there's a difference between never ending and and ever increasing and so he his kingdom will reign forever but it won't stay stagnant it will continue to increase and increase and increase there will never be a time when his government decreases in power in our world and in our culture today christians are constantly under attack we're attacked from those who oppose our message we're attacked and called intolerant of the things that our culture celebrates but God calls an abomination. We're attacked from within the church by churches who change their doctrine with the shifting of the wind because we choose to adhere to God's word no matter what the cultural trends or what the consequences might be. And because this is our experience in our world today it may be kind of difficult for us to imagine a kingdom that never decreases in power because we feel i at least feel and i think most of us feel like we're constantly on the defense so a kingdom whose power and greatness is ever increasing is not what we experience so much on earth but His will never decrease in power. It will only only increase, which means that we get to be a part of a team that always wins. Now, I want you to think about some of the great dynasties in the sports world, okay? So, like, if it's baseball, it's the Yankees, right? They've got 27 World Series titles, and the the Cardinals are in second place with only 11. So it's not even close, right? They've got 27 World Series towers. They are the dominant team in the history of baseball in basketball it's the celtics and the lakers they both have 17 championships and in football it might be it's a little more evenly distributed the steelers and the patriots are tied for six uh, super bowl championships the 49ers and the cowboys have five but those teams are are the ones that have won more championships and they've dominated their sport more than any other team in those respective sports. And they go through periods of time where they win a lot and then they go sometimes decades before they win again. And so it's, you got, you got the, the dynasty or the dominant team that you look back over the course of history, but even they have down, t- down periods where they are not winning. So let's look at just football for, exa- for an example, the Steelers dominated the 1970s, the 49ers dominated the 80s the Cowboys dominated the 90s and the Patriots have been more of a dominant team in the first two centuries of the 21st first two decades of the 21st century so you could apply this to other things, you could apply it to kingdoms, you could apply it to philosophical thoughts, it doesn't matter what it is human dynasties I'll call them, human dynasties ebb and flow and sometimes change hands but that is not so with christ's kingdom the government that sits on his shoulders will ever increase so you and i get to be on the team that always wins our team with christ as our head will always come out on top so isaiah tells us that this child that is to be born that's the kingdom that he's going to run we're were first introduced to the child in chapter 7 and then through chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 God is revealing some really incredible things about himself and about his plan of redemption of mankind and it comes to a climax in our text that we're looking at in this Christmas season And just as that prophecy when it was spoken to Mary when she was told you're going to bear a son and he will be the son of the most high you're to give him the name Jesus just just as when the prophecy was spoken to her and she asked how can this be God reveals through Isaiah as he's making this proclamation declaring this prophecy he answers that question hundreds of years before Mary could even ask it and it's in verse 7 at the very end it says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this so that is what his reign is going to look like let's get into the second point As we start to look at the title, what do we know of Jesus as a prince? What do we know of Jesus as a prince? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the word prince, this title. I do want to just touch on a couple of things, though, um, and then we'll move on to a description of the word peace. So the first thing I want to mention is that the Messiah to come is to be called a prince, which means he is royalty. He's royalty. It means that he is a prince, is a son of a king. So we understand here that he's royalty for one. We understand that as Isaiah is talking about this child that is to be born, we've already mentioned because of the titles that he's he's God he will be called mighty god right but he's also god's son because he is called prince he's god's son and we will we later on as you move through scripture into the new testament the doctrine of the trinity is developed and we're able to understand jesus as the second person of the trinity but what we have here, I think, is one of those rare places in the Old Testament where we get a picture of God existing as one God, but more than one person within the Godhead. We don't see the entire Trinity here because we don't see the Spirit mentioned in the text, but we do see a child who's going to be, a, who's going to be born as a human, who's going to be called God, and who's going to be referred to as a son or a prince. And so we have, in the Old Testament, we don't see a lot of these. But we this is one of these places where we're able to see there's more than one person in the Godhead. So that's the first thing I want to bring up about prince. The second thing is, because he's royalty, that means he will rule. And Isaiah's already told us that he will rule all nations because he says that the government will be on his shoulders, right? We've already talked about that. But now we're told how he will rule the nations in this understanding of prince. he is going to rule the nations. It will be a reign that is characterized by peace because he's called prince of peace. He he is the prince of peace. And Isaiah expounds on that a little more by stating that his reign will bring ever-increasing peace. So the peace that he brings not only never ends— like his government, like the power and the the strength of his government, his, his peace not only never ends, but it gets greater and greater because it continues to increase. Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But what does Scripture reveal to us about correctly defining peace, God's peace? So, Let's look at how does the Bible define peace? Point number three. This is where we're going to spend most of our time today. How does the Bible define peace? Remember, I said we have to let Scripture define its own terms. If we try to define them in our 21st century American mindset, we will misunderstand frequently misunderstand what the Bible is saying. Peace, theologically, represents the fullness of the blessings of salvation. It represents the fullness of the blessings of salvation. Peace in Scripture indicates a person is whole and complete. So when we think about that, we understand that the only way to have true peace is to know Christ. And have assurance of the salvation that he offers. And the concept of peace in the Old Testament is so connected to the New Testament concept of grace. And the reason those two are so connected is because they are so closely connected to salvation. And so you will see, and we're going to read some scriptures here in a little bit, you will see those two... And the New Testament are often used together, grace and peace. So peace can only come from God, and God created us to have peace. So from the very beginning, if you look at the account of, the, of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, everything was perfect. God created us to be people who have peace because it's a part of who he is. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought all kinds of evil into the world, it brought, all, it, it brought a fallen nature, we now think with fallen minds, we now are susceptible to um, temptation and falling into sin, and all of those things rob us of the peace that God intended for us to have from the very beginning. As we witness more and more evil in the world, especially if that evil hits close to home, if it's something that affects you, um, we lose our sense of peace. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that losing our peace as we witness the wickedness around us is allowing our peace to be influenced and determined by worldly things, not by Christ who lives in us. God is our source of peace, so the world—I mean, it's easy for me to say this, but I'm just saying, speaking of what we see in Scripture, the world should have no no influence on that. The consequences that we live under in this world should have no um, effect on our peace, because our peace is wrapped up in our assurance of salvation. And the world can't take that away from us. So I want you to think about your own life. Do you, do you experience stress and lack of peace when you're obedient and you're faithful? Or do you experience it when you've allowed some distance to come between you and the Lord? Or you've allowed some object or thing to come between you and the Lord? Or you've allowed some mindset or thought to come between you and the Lord? I want you to turn, if if you would, to James chapter 4, because James takes us a little deeper still. James 4, we're going to read verses 1 to 4. This reference is not in your notes, so I want you to read along with me. James 4, 1-4. This is where James goes deeper with this idea. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. All right, so these things that James mentions here, they cause tension within relationships, whether it's relationships with people, relationships with your relationship with the lord causes sinful thoughts and desires it causes a divide between us and the god who created us to have peace so it robs us of the very thing that god wanted for us i want you to notice the language that james uses in verse one he says what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you So we have this internal struggle within us. There's a reason that Paul speaks so frequently about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Our old self, which is the sin nature that we had before we surrendered our will over to Christ, our old self is fighting against our new self, which is the new creation that we are now that Christ's blood has covered our sins. We have this war going on inside us which means there is no peace within us. But I want you to see that God is the very opposite of that. There is no contradiction, no nothing that's unsettled, there's no war going on, or, or internal strife going on within God's character. There's absolute peace within his being, there's absolute peace and perfect fellowship among the three persons of the Trinity. And peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit, from Galatians five twenty-two to 23 which means that it's a very part of who God is. And because it's a fruit of the Spirit, it's something that the Holy Spirit wants to mature in us so that we reflect God's peace in our own lives to a world that is dying without Him. Alright, so because God wants us to have this peace, you will notice, if you pay attention when you read through scripture, you'll notice that peace is a dominant theme throughout the Old and New Testament. So we're gonna look at some places. you have got, I think four? Four uh, blanks for you, that you can fill in with scripture references there. Um, we're going to talk about how we see it as a theme throughout scripture and what that tells us about God so the first one is that God's people would greet and depart with a blessing of peace upon each other God's people would greet and depart with a blessing of peace upon each other I'm not this isn't exhaustive I just picked one of each but they're all throughout the Old and New Testament Judges 19. I picked the Judges one because we haven't gotten to chapter 19 in our Judges study, but we will eventually after we are done with Christmas and we pick it back up, but we've been studying Judges. In chapter 19 it says, and the old man said, Peace be to you, I will care for all your wants. And so it was a way that they greeted people. Uh, Luke eight forty eight. Jesus has healed a woman and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so he's sending her with a proclamation of peace on her life so what i want you to see here is that it was it was a an everyday part of their life for god's people it was a proclamation or a prayer for peace upon a neighbor or a friend or a family member and that's something that you and i can do today to to align ourselves with what we see god's people doing in scripture so I just want to ask you to think through your life, how often do you pray for uh, the people in your lives, whether it's family members, friends, people you know but maybe don't know as well as friends, maybe people you know that you're not really fond of. Um, how, how, how often do you pray for them to have true peace in their life? Because that's what this was. this was. This was basically a prayer for them to have peace upon them when you greeted or when you departed from somebody. Our will, world is so filled with a lot of just crummy stuff, but praying for God's peace in the life of someone else could be the very thing that gets them through those difficult times or maybe gets them through the day. So God's people would greet each other and they would depart from each other, with a blessing of peace, we can do that very same thing for people in our lives today. Number two, God is called the God of peace. You see this a lot in Paul's writings. Um, I'm going to read Philippians, out of Philippians 4. um, Do I have that up there? Yes, okay. So, uh, this is kind of a more lengthy verse, but I, w- I just want you to listen to this because we're going we're to dive into this a little bit. Paul's writing the church in Philippi, and he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and, and supplication. Some um, versions say petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be ma- made known to God. And the God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right. so, a couple of places where Paul calls God the God of peace, or he talks about the peace of God that comes from him. What he tells the Philippian church is, one, don't be anxious. And I don't know about you, but I don't know how that's possible in this world. As somebody who deals with anxiety, he says, don't be anxious because God's peace is going to guard your hearts. It's going to guard your minds. And he's going to guard it in Christ Jesus because we belong to him. And then Paul says that we need to think upon the truths of Scripture, what we know to be true of God. This part where he says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Those are, those are all things that are of God. So Paul is saying, you need to think upon the truths of Scripture. You need to think upon those things that you know are true of God, and God's peace will be with you. So the more, that w- the more that we dig into scripture and the more we cl- like understand and trust in the things that we see in there as truth, the m- less anxious and we will be and the more peace we'll have. So when we're anxious, the first place that we should turn is to God. We need to turn to him in prayer. We need to turn to him in his word. And we need to remind ourselves of the things that we know are true. We live in a world that questions it all. We live in a world that challenges us in the things that we believe. Being in God's word every single day is something that is going to guard you against being swept away by those things. Because the more you're in it, the more you will know it's true. And the more you know it's true, the more peace you will have. And. Is actually He's called the God of Peace because peace is actually a part of his character, which we mentioned in uh, the, the point just before this, about how it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 lists those fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all things that come out of God's character and the Holy Spirit wants to mature them in you. Peace is one of those. Third thing, Jesus left us his peace. Jesus left us his peace. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now, what's interesting about this chapter, chapter 14 of John's gospel, is that Jesus is getting ready to die, to be resurrected, and then to ascend to heaven. First of all, it's interesting that he is completely at peace, even though he's getting ready to suffer greatly. Isaiah's text um, at the end of Isaiah 52, we mentioned last week, talks about how he was beaten so badly he didn't even look human anymore. So, Jesus is completely at peace. And he's saying to his disciples, I'm going to leave you my peace. He's getting ready to leave them behind. And not only does he give them their, his peace, but, um, and, and remember, that's a very part of who he is. He's going to leave that with them, but he states to them more than once in chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. He knows that they lack peace, but he also sees the entire picture unlike us who sees a small portion like a puzzle piece compared to the entire puzzle put together jesus knows that they're lacking in peace but he sees the big picture and so what he tells them is don't let your hearts be troubled just trust me how many of you if you've been talking to a child whether it's your child or you've been caring for a child who's anxious about something and you know everything's going to be fine and you just you're just trying to convince them just trust me it's going to be fine i'm going to keep i'm going to take care of you you don't have to worry and we're just like that with jesus we get anxious in this world and he says to his disciples more than once just trust in me just just believe me and trust me peace therefore something that we can experience on earth because he leaves his peace with us and it grows as we become more intimate with God. Second Peter one, 2 Peter 1-2 says, may, the grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the more the more you get to know him, the more intimate you are with him, the more peace is comes over your heart and your mind. And because that increases As we become more intimate with Jesus, then nothing in this world can take away that peace. We we get focused on the things of this world and our peace is taken, it's robbed from us. But if we focus on the things of Christ, if we focus on him, if we turn to those things that are true and lovely and pure, the truths of scripture, then the consequences we deal with in this world cannot take that away. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39, Paul says to the church in Rome, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because peace is so wrapped up in our salvation, if nothing can take that away from us, then nothing can rob us of that peace. Last one. Number four. God offers us the ultimate peace in heaven. God offers us the ultimate peace in heaven. Going back to John chapter 14, the first three verses, John says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There's where he's saying, Just trust me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you i will come again and i will take you to my myself so, so that you where i am there you may also be and so jesus is already preparing a place for us in heaven he's preparing a place for us where it will be ultimate peace paul describes how that's going to come about somewhat to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, uh, this is chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, how this is going to come about. He says, "...for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul's, Paul's telling them, I want you to see verse 17. He says, we will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with him. So there is peace with if we are always with the one who is, who peace is so much a part of who he is, it's born out of him. But then I want you to see verse 18. He says specifically in verse 18, he tells us to remind each other of that truth. And that's because it, brings, it will bring peace into our lives in this broken world if we continue to remind each other that there is an ultimate peace that is coming. No longer part of this broken world. One last scripture God revealed to the Apostle John. What this everlasting peace is going to look like once we get there. Revelation 21:4, he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We get to go from this broken world of sin and evil directly to a place where none of that stuff is allowed. And so God's peace is something that is a part of our life here but awaits us where it will be ultimately it will reign in our lives. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate Jesus' coming, but we celebrate his coming because his coming led to his death. And his resurrection and his ascension to heaven where he's now preparing a place for us so that one day we can go and be with him forever where none of this crud of this world is allowed. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this let's pray father we thank you that we have that promise Lord, it's hard to live this life in this world and not be anxious. It's hard to have peace in the midst of the chaos and the evil around us. So we need you to help us to focus on the things we know are true, the things we see in Scripture, the things we know of you, that you've revealed of yourself, and to be reminded and to remind each other of the promise that awaits us in heaven. We're thankful that you made a way for that. We're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper where we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. This Christmas season, let us keep in mind when we sing about his birth, we're celebrating his death, resurrection, and his sovereign reign. As King of all kings. It's in his name we pray. Amen.